Welcome to BR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we're going to dive deeper into curriculum and instruction, of course, with a focus on VR. So we're excited to have James McDermid. James uh, is a learning design consultant for Curious. So his main focus with them is to support the development of VR in learning solutions and products that help improve achievement, engagement, and even training for health, of course, education, and heavy industry. So welcome to the show, James. Yeah, thanks, Craig, for having me. Uh, excited for the conversation, as always. It's a, it's a hot topic right now. Mm. It's funny. We uh, Just for listeners' perspective, we were just talking about getting last names right, and lo and behold, I stumbled again on your last name. Sorry about that. Uh, no, don't worry, Craig. It's uh, To be honest, it's a name I don't even uh, pronunciate when I'm having to share my name out in public. I just actually spell it. So I think you did a pretty good job. All good. <laughs> this is a standard question I ask uh, all my participants, and it is, what got you interested in VR in the first place? Yeah, no, it's a good question because, you know, it is still an emerging market. Um, funnily enough, and I guess, to the pure level of irony, uh, what got me into virtual reality was my love for nature. Uh, my my passion for education lies more in the nature-based pedagogical frameworks. Uh, so you can imagine forest schools or what we call in Australia bush schools, beach schools. Uh, it's always been a much bigger passion of mine than technology for a long period of time, in fact. Uh, Comically, I actually also had what I, I guess a bit of a phobia to technology. I'm not a huge fan of social media. I don't like to spend a lot of time on mobile devices, but uh, through going um, in and out of my love for education and, and trying to figure out where my place is in, in the world, and certainly in the space of education, I, I found myself supporting scientific expeditions in really remote environments from the likes of the sub-Antarctic to the deserts of Australia, to really uh, large open cave systems uh, west of Wyoming. And what we were doing there was using technological solutions like video conferencing. Uh, so for me, the Zoom boom thing at the moment is quite funny because we've been, I was doing this uh, level of integration some time ago. But what I noticed was that there was, a, there was quite a level of power there where we were able to connect and break down what I call those four walls of learning to to provide that authenticity and level of engagement to students to the real world. And so then I had a bit of that aha moment was like, well, maybe there's something more we can do here. And then I uh, started to explore what was already out there in the world of virtual reality and, and the content creation in terms of high-end CGI work and came across um, many companies. One of them happens to be Curious that I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about here during the podcast. And um, they brought me on, and, and since then I've been helping them and others, uh, I guess, embrace what quality learning looks like, but in more in the space of virtual reality, and, and that's how I got into virtual reality. And since then, and working within that space for some time now, I, I, I have been convinced that the power of the learning affordance that comes with the likes of virtual reality and augmented reality is certainly where the future lies. That sounds super interesting, James. 
you alluded to this. So t- tell the listeners a little bit more about your work with Curious and what you do there. Yeah, sure. Um, so look, Curious has been around quite a long time, uh, some 22 to 23 years. It's been recognized uh, for its award-winning ability to create high-level engaging content, in particular with the likes of CGI. Uh, So we're very fortunate here in Australia where we have a beautiful piece of architecture that rests on the Sydney Harbour, which is the Opera House. And within the Opera House, there are the sails, which which is the roofing structure. And once a year, there's a vivid light festival where uh, the likes of CGI uh, is projected onto the sails um, for interaction. And Curious has been able to to, uh, win those contracts for some time. And so that's what it's uh, recognized for. It's also created content for the likes of Infinity um, and the opening and closing ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. So content is nothing that uh, they shy away from, but... Uh, five years ago or so, uh, as tends to happen, you have a, a really intelligent software engineer that managed to crack a piece of code in the dark corner of a room uh, that really decided to, or gave the opportunity for the company to pivot across into virtual reality uh, for education and training purposes. Now, that software solution they created uh, basically rests within the idea that uh, rather than as a one-to-one gaming experience, which we've known virtual reality to be very successful for, you can control uh, notionally up to 264 headsets at exactly the same time. What I thought was rather powerful was that uh, you can you can actually subjugate those 264 headsets, for example, and put them into different groups and then push through different pieces of content, different pieces of virtual reality learning experience within those subsector or those subgroups. Um, and at the same time have visibility of what's in those headsets at exactly the same time. You can pause and uh, play and annotate over what we call a teacher tablet that gives you that directional learning opportunity within those headsets. So there's a really big uh, play there where um, virtual reality can start to have a positive effect and a a meaningful engagement in an educational classroom setting. So when I got exposed to that uh, level of software, I was like, yep. As a teacher, as, as a primary school teacher by trade, I saw the, the benefit of what they had created and wanted to be a part of it. So across the course of my time with Curious, um, they were dabbling in certain pieces of content or learning program that they were interested in employing that they thought would be of interest to the market. And what I mean by the market is um, uh, higher education, tertiary education, and then enterprise for workplace training, for example. And I think more recently, um, I think of what is of most excitement to me is uh, a social emotional learning program that we've just completed. Uh, so my role there would be to oversee that from an educational perspective to ensure that it aligns to curriculum, uh, that it's pedagogically sound in terms of the decision making around methodologies and frameworks, and that it basically it, it caters towards the need of an educator, the need of a student, and the need to a whole school system more broadly. One of the challenges I put to Curious, not just for this program, for other programs that we've created, is that let's not be seen as just another tech company. Let's be not see, be seen as just another content play. Let's be seen as actually working and listening to the voice of reason when it comes to those that are already on the ground in the battlefield that is education. And I learned that a long time ago when I was doing a project under what is called the Child Friendly Cities Initiative, a UNICEF project, where they employed this idea of participatory 
action research methodologies where you engage community to get buy-in to make a better decision-making process. And I've carried that across my line of work and as I have done with Curious. James, before you even started working with Curious, you were into and had a pedigree for curriculum alignment. And therefore, you probably know that curricula is changing. It's starting to uh, use the notion 21st century learning. How do you see VR playing a role to meet the needs of, you know, the ever-changing world and therefore uh, adopting curricula that helps learners lean into bigger ideas than just facts or memorizing or just sheer vocabulary? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's a very big question. And um, I think it's a conversation we need to be having more and certainly with the likes of thought leaders around the world that I have regular conversations with, it's pretty much the main crux of the conversations that we're carrying across. Uh, Look, there's a place for virtual reality. There's a place for any type of technology, and it certainly isn't 24 hours a day cycle type stuff. It's certainly not, uh, you know, a 45-minute lesson, for example, where you'll see a group of students in virtual reality for 30 minutes at that time. I just don't see that playing out like that. And I know that teachers don't see that either. And parents do not want that. So that's the first thing we need to take into consideration. And then the other one is when we present product and service or you present this idea of virtual reality to a school or school district or a wider community, they say, how do you embed this? Where do I put this in my already overcrowded curriculum? So I think there's a couple of areas within the generic key learning areas or general capabilities of curriculums worldwide where virtual reality has its place. And I always use the, 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 the notion of virtual reality is incredibly powerful of making the invisible visible. So what does that mean in terms of curriculum? What does that mean in terms of subject matter area where we can use virtual reality to make certain abstract concepts more visible? For me, that rests within the sciences, particularly biology and chemistry. Uh, and and the humanities. And we are seeing a huge amount of interest in the humanities because, you know, before virtual reality, we were seeing a significant, unfortunate decrease of uh, the ability to go on excursions, um, to break down those four walls of learning that I referred to in the first part of our conversation. And virtual reality, indeed augmented reality, even mobile VR, certainly has a place whereby you can transport others and students, anyone, to other parts of the world or to other areas of, of the natural world, for example, where we can get a better sense of culture, of sensitivities, of history, of feeling, of presence is what a lot of the research talks about when it comes to virtual reality that you cannot get in a book, that you cannot get in those four walls of learning and sometimes not even get down the street in your own backyard. So um, there's certainly a place for it, but it needs to be carefully aligned to curriculum and certainly needs to be uh, carefully considered in terms of how it will foster authentic learning opportunity engagement in not, not in a way that replaces old ways of learning or traditional learning modes entirely, but enhances it and supports it. Let's, let's unpack some practical examples. Some schools that I've talked to or been uh, familiar with will, uh, will use existing experiences that they buy from maybe the Oculus store or possibly the the Steam store. But my understanding is Curious 
develops their own unique content. Is that correct? Yes, we do both. Uh, but yes, we have been creating our own unique content to date. Yeah. Can you give us maybe not a, a bunch, but a few examples of what th- that kind of content entails? Yeah. So, uh, you know, to give you any, what I was referring to before around getting the, 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 the customer buy-in or what I think is more uh, a better way of saying it is the community buy-in. So when we were creating or reimagining areas of the chemistry curriculum, and you know, we'll, we'll talk general capabilities here. So, uh, periodic tables, for example, uh, the, the neurons or the or the compounds of certain cells. Uh, how do you bring to life a periodic table, or uh, how do you bring to life the this idea of photosynthesis and the role of chloroplast within a particular leaf, uh, the structure of a leaf? Uh, so, and then I'd love to talk actually about another example quickly of humanities. It was a very powerful moment. But what we did was we came up with designs. We came up with ideas with animators, um, software engineers, codes. And then we put together, I guess, a wireframe um, and a structure about what we think would be a, a good use of user experience to drive engagement and deeper engagement. But, and, but we, we stopped there. We didn't take it any further. What we did is we took it to market meaning we took it to schools, we took it to teachers, we brought teachers into the studio and said, this is what we're thinking, this is where it aligns to curriculum because they actually gave us the alignment to curriculums that they thought virtual reality would have its place in the first instance and said, is this coming to where you want it to be? You know, you put together a lesson plan for us working together and this is what we've come up with. Conceptually, does this make sense? Does this drive learning and engagement for you and your students with what you actually had in mind? And they said yes, and sometimes they said no. And then we would take it even further and go, well, actually, if we wanted to take this one step further rather than just have that linear experience, how can we make it a circular experience while we employing, say, that model-guided independent framework? Then we started to explore, well, if we're going to think about the molecules for water, can we put that into a frame that actually represents water in its natural state in a natural environment where we can transport that end user to a rainforest where water flows abundantly, for example, and then apply that notion of the periodic table for the element of water into a real life example. And that's really important to recognize that you can use virtual reality to bring to life the abstract nature of the periodic table, for example, but unless you bring that to its mutuality and contextuality in a real-life scenario with a real-world problem, I personally believe, therefore Curious also agrees, that you're still actually maintaining that abstract nature of learning. So it's about closing the loop. It's about employing those really traditional frameworks of learning that we've been taught across decades of of learning in terms of when you're coming a teacher, such as that model guided independent or the 5E learning model, those things are still relevant. You just need to reimagine what a certain element of engagement or elaboration could look like by harnessing the powers of virtual reality. And just quick, lastly, I'd like to quickly speak to humanities if I can. What we did was there was an opportunity for Curious to go and support a um, not-for-profit organization called School for Life. And they, uh, they go out to Uganda and they fundraise to, to build schools, uh, to provide education and experience and opportunity for those that are disadvantaged in, in those parts of the world. 
But then we went over there and we shot a beautiful 360 narrative that goes for about seven minutes that originally was designed as a fundraising opportunity for 360 cities where you have those patrons that go to you know, a beautiful dinner, they get into a virtual reality headset, they get transported to the parts of Uganda to see what it's actually like to, lo- like to live in Uganda, but also to see what the school is that has been built using that, those fundraising money and, and so on and so forth. But then I had an opportunity to experience this for myself and I came out of that seven minutes utterly blown away. I said, you've got to share this with the world. You've got to share this with, with educators, with schools, because I've just been transported to Uganda for seven minutes and I've seen so much opportunity for enrichment and curriculum op- uh, alignment and learning engagement. I would like to hear it from other teachers that are working within the space of humanities. So we did that. We brought in teachers from the humanities um, and uh, area and we put them into the experience. And I am not joking in saying this, once we took them out of that, once they came out of that experience, there was one particular teacher who I went to then ask a question as, as our focus group intended to be. And he said, James, please give me a minute. I don't want to talk. I just need to think about what mm. I've just experienced. Wow. And, and then we started to focus on that social emotional learning piece, that level of empathy that comes and needs to be embedded throughout the general capabilities of the curriculum to drive, again, deeper levels of engagement. Your commitment to user-centered design is just, uh, you know, it's amazing. Some companies dream of being able to have the access to students, teachers, and schools for that matter. And you guys uh, seem to have hit the sweet spot in being able to find people interested and engaged in the iterative process to help make, uh, you know, your personal-made content curious as personal made content uh, target for the audience that you're hoping for. So that's amazing. Have you had a hard time getting schools to uh, be part of or on board with the iterative process? No, absolutely not. You know, they welcome that with open arms. Um, for them to be a part of this this journey when it comes to innovation and, and design thinking, like you just alluded to, you know, we talk about 21st century learning. We talk about d- design thinking. But yet I always challenge people when, they, when I, I, I sense that they're using it as a slogan. I'm like, you know what? What does that actually look like? You know, so for example, just off topic very quickly, I was consulting for a group in New York recently to help them build out a new STEAM curriculum. And I said, you know what? I know you want to implement design thinking here, but how about we actually wrap this around entrepreneurial relationship and thinking? So they can actually, these students can come out as an idea, carry on an idea to potentially start their own business. But on top of that, integrate social emotional learning principles because that gives them a holistic level of learning. And so it's, and, and they, they loved it. They, they thought it was a terrific idea because it just makes sense. So when you have this, when you present this opportunity to schools to say, we would like you to be a part of a focus group uh, where you can help guide us in creating better quality content for you and for others around the world. They jump at every, every chance they get because we need to recognize the intellectual property of quality learning does not rest within pieces of paper and on in words per se. It rests within the teacher. Sometimes an individual teacher to another individual teacher, sometimes and more often not as a collective of teachers that have banded together and worked together over years, if not decades, to understand what quality learning looks like and then just translate that across into something like virtual reality learning experiences. 
That's sometimes they use the term in our profession of education, the art and craft of teaching. And you just mentioned that, you know, these things aren't necessarily uh, easily transferable, but as you alluded to using user centered design in the design process, you can tease that out. So I'm very impressed with you. You know, it's this, you've mentioned user centered design. Absolutely. So I came to, when I came to curious, I, I, you know, likewise, they opened up the world to me. I, I hopefully opened up the world to them in terms of, of education and, and, you know, if I can say, some level of thought leadership. My passion lies within a couple of areas. One is within what is called, uh, I guess, what I call the biophilic continuum, uh, the idea of biophilia, our innate urge to affiliate with all living things and systems. What does that look like in terms of biophilic education by design? Um, so bringing in nature's principles, for example, um, and then wrapped around that, this idea or notion of complexity thinking or, or complex adaptive systems, which is also firmly based around human-centered design. And, and so when you start to wrap these really great theories or learning theories together and put it into practice, which could be seen as parts of design thinking, I think you've got a really, a really big opportunity to provide some really high-quality level of authentic learning experience, ir irrespective of whether it's delivered via virtual reality or not. Speaking of design thinking, from time to time, I've gone through applications either for enterprise. For example, I looked at a uh, forklift uh, enterprise VR application the other day, and then, of course, many of the educational ones. And some of them have built into the experience uh, multiple choice questions right there within the VR. Do you see that as good practice? What's your opinion of answering assessment questions within VR? <laughs> So we've tinkered with this. We, we originally had uh, employed that technique. Um, and look, I think it's got its place for enterprise training, for example. Um, so you, I think you alluded to it before with the whole forklift notion. Um, so heavy industry is something that we also play within at Curious. And, and in fact, it won an award around that as well with the, um, a group called Lynx Cargo. I think it has its place there because what you're looking for is, a, is that level of retention, right? And how quickly can you build up a staff network in a short period of time as a cost-effective uh, exercise to get them back out to doing what they need to do, but in a safe sense. Um, so I think it does have its place, but in terms of that, applying that technique to school settings, uh, no. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of didactic learning at the best of times, and when we uh, brought on uh, for a short period of time uh, a terrific uh, professor in educa uh, VR education. She used the term, uh, it's too chalk and talk, it's too passive, uh, don't bother. You're doing a disservice to the power of the technology as well as the end user. And so when we were designing this social emotional learning program, for example, we, we did play with that idea. But then we decided unless we can bring in biometrics, for example, which is something we are looking to do uh, for the release of module two, three, and, and beyond, um, where you know you really we are really tapping into something quite deep there. Uh, then then keep it to that blended learning design, whereby, for example, again with our social emotional learning program, virtual reality is seen as a tool, not as a replacement. So you go into the virtual reality experience uh, to learn certain skills. And, and unpack certain scenarios within a safe place environment, but then outside of virtual reality, you revert back to that traditional way of learning through the use of guidebooks, workbooks, 
conversation, collaboration, project-based learning opportunities, and then go back into that virtual reality experience again for, say, consolidation of learning, rather than try to put it all within that virtual reality headset. Yeah, well said, because uh, I would agree with you heavily. In fact, especially in education, where headsets are just starting to uh, infiltrate into the schools, you still wouldn't have you know, a large number of headsets per class. And so therefore, VR time is precious and sacred. You wouldn't want to waste a student's VR time answering, as you said before, something that you could do outside of VR on a pen and paper or on a 2D computer. So I agree with you totally. You, you've, you look, you've really hit a nail on the head there. Um, so we, we were very brash when we went to market. Um, thinking that everyone would have a headset uh, or at least everyone would be willing to buy a headset. And so, you know, you've got school districts of 20,000 students, for example, in, in the state of Texas, and then therefore they're going to buy, you know, let's call it 10,000 headsets to, to carry across the district. It's just not the case. Um, and so you're right. When, when those are employed or rather uh, looking to purchase and have purchased uh, virtual reality, it tends to be at a smaller scale but they use it incredibly effectively and incredibly efficiently to the need of whatever that program is actually looking to elicit. And then it rotates itself across the cohorts. And then eventually, once they start to see the deeper level of engagement and the opportunity for a deep embedding of within curriculum design, they'll start to in, you know, invest in more headsets. But yeah, you don't want to have a group of students sitting in a virtual reality headset clicking on a yes, no, when they could actually be having that conversation, for example. So what we've found fascinatingly is that when you put a student into a virtual reality experience, and if it's for high quality learning experience with a high level of provocation and thought and creativity and curiosity, they'll actually start to talk with their peers in the real world, but while still being in that virtual reality experience. So if an educator is obsessed, which unfortunately we tend to have to be because of curriculum mandates in recording formative assessment tasks, I've got a good idea. Record the conversations that are being had by those students whilst your students are still in that virtual reality experience. Ah, that is, that's fantastic. I've, again, I've, for many years I've thought about VR and I've never thought of that. So th thank you for that idea. That's awesome. You uh, alluded to this already. You kind of set me up for my next question, and that is uh, game-based learning can be powerful. Of course, the thing with games, though, is that they usually have to focus on a broader concept. For example, one game I use in VR and then also with a computer is a game called Keep Talking and No One Explodes. In this game, what happens is a student has sort of in front of them uh, a fake bomb and everyone else has to talk them using communication skills and strategy, how to diffuse the bomb. And so great for EAL students, equally great for kids who are slightly introverted and want to practice the, the broader concept of communication. But alas, many schools are looking for specificity. So, you know, focusing in on things like uh, how do I get my kids to know the difference between prokaryote and eukaryote cells, et cetera. What's your thoughts on using especially VR games for curriculum and learning? Uh, I think it's got a long way to go. Um, I think it's definitely got its place uh, within moving into the future. 
Uh, again, it needs to it needs to be put within the context of what it is that you're looking to get out of the of the students, their level of engagement, and ultimately that learning outcome that is aligned to you know to your curriculum. Um, you know, we played with this idea as well. And funnily enough, you, you've referred to the structure of cells, for example. We also did the same thing. So what we had created was, uh, again, under this idea of a model-guided independent learning framework that we would model um, what it would look like to experience or uh, yeah, experience uh, walking through a rainforest that is full of greenery, hence the idea that photosynthesis is taking place all around you. And then we would guide you through that in terms of transporting you to the cellular structure of a leaf in comparison to say an animal cell and then we would gamify that in the independent component to the learning framework where you and a student are competing against one another against the clock to match up the right uh, cell structures within uh, or the properties within the right in the cell structure of either the animal and or the plant and you need to do that in quick time to try and beat your beat your colleague or your peer it just didn't work. It was really clunky. And we kind of thought, well, what, why? Like, what are we trying to get out of this? We're just trying to get them to be able to regurgitate where chloroplast sits within the structure of the cell, or are we trying to get them to understand and have a whole new appreciation for, for example, and it sounds crazy as a simple question, but why plants are green? Uh, which is actually a very complex question if you really choose to unpack it, which is exactly what we were trying to get out of the whole virtual reality experience to get an appreciation and awareness of the complexity of life, the complexity of the natural sciences, rather than, oh, yes, I know what chloroplast is. And by the way, I also know how to spell it. So I think it comes back to its time and place. One of the other things that needs to be recognized is, and I started by answering this question that I think right now, no, moving forward in the future, yes. And the reason for the no before the yes is I don't think we're set up for it. The software capabilities that are surrounded within the virtual reality world of learning and engagement is not quite there. From Unless someone can come to me and present something otherwise, which I'd be really excited to, to, to see, I don't think it's there yet to deliver the level of collaboration, true collaboration for problem solving and creativity that would be necessary to be able to support the gamification approach to learning in virtual reality, such as the success of Fortnite, for example. And no, I don't think putting Fortnite into virtual reality is the solution because Fortnite is so successful as a desktop solution. Um, you know, one of the things that we've started to play with though, in terms of where we do think there's an opportunity for gamification is within the soft skill development. So that yes, social yeah. emotional learning piece, for example, so to our to our social emotional learning solution, um, we have employed elements of gamification. So, uh, for example, in episode there's, there's there's five episodes within a nine week program, and of those five episodes, within one episode there are two parts. The first part is where you learn skill application and development. Uh, you get transported through mirrors, televisions. You go to safe places. You see trains fly through clouds. It's it's, it's tremendous. The, the the level of metaphor and thought through this is outstanding. But then in part two of each of those episodes is where you get to uh, visit the world of the boxlings, a fictional narrative, uh, and you see the boxlings play out in a particular scenario that you can relate to. For example, a boxling being slumped over within a, within a locker room, feeling down, um, then you need to try and figure out how to get their regulation system back into what we call the sweet spot. 
And by doing that, you and in, in how you do that is by employing certain sequence of skills that you've learnt in part one of that episode by using a trigger mechanism, for example, but at a deep level of thought and learning retention. And then you see the e, what we call the ERG, which is like your thermometer, go up and down within the green and red zone to reflect exactly what that is, you know, the hyper or the hyper arousal. So rather than actually get them to shoot things or or tasked to move things around and, and unlock keys and chests, all those things. We've employed the level of gamification in simpler terms where you can see it within the ERG, but it's more about applying real life application and use of language in the world of gamification, if that's making any sense, rather than actually building gamification capabilities and features into the actual program. It's just not there yet. I think we need to build a level of collaboration where you can have avatars coming in, which I know is starting to come into virtual reality, or at least feel comfortable that you are there with another, rather than knowing that someone is next to you in a virtual reality headset, but they're not actually there with you in the virtual world to be able to employ levels of collaboration and problem solving, which I think is where gamification has its place. Mm, good, good answer. You know, you alluded to something that I think we're still grappling with, and that is, you know, over complexity obviously can uh, derail the whole point to the learning outcome of the game. And if you simplify the experience, you're more apt to do what your intention was, which is to meet that learning outcome. Absolutely. There's a great example. Lucas Rosado came up with uh, a fairly simplistic VR application, which is used by many counseling sectors within schools it's called where thoughts go and so it's a very simplistic idea where the user walks yeah and he walks in or she he or she walks into this area and they they use audio bubbles to share their thoughts and ideas and just just brilliantly done and so simplistic at the same time so there's there's such merit to you know simplifying what you need to do and still have uh, amazing execution excitement engagement etc you know, we had a. We're also um, very aware of the need to align to uh, research and evidence. For that's just the position that Curious has taken. Um, so, for example, when we developed the social emotional learning program, um, Curious and the board of investors decided to bring on an international advisory panel of of high caliber individuals, uh, a team of clinical psychologists, interventionists, ethicists. Uh, and then uh, a university to, to to conduct a random control trial to determine no harm, but also then to um, hopefully foresee the level of, of, of efficacy that can come from the delivery of this level of programming and virtual reality integration. Um, and it is important to recognize because one of the things that we also asked of the university to do was, or actually rather, we had a, there was a student that came to us and asked to, to do a research on one of our software applications, which was based around cognitive load theory. And what we had, what they had found was that due to the simplicity of our UI UX that we had employed, to your point just before, Craig, the, cog- the level of cognitive load was actually less than it was uh, to other uh, programs and, and, and softwares that are out there. Meaning, what does that look like? If you, if you bring in too much into the virtual reality experience, Basically, you're replicating the hypersensitivity and fast-paced nature of our world already, 
and therefore you're delimiting the opportunity to self-reflect, self-restore, and then have that uh, openness to learning where you can actually take away something of meaning. Uh, and so we've got to be very, very careful then when we're designing virtual reality learning programs that we're not trying to put everything in to make it as excitable as possible because what you'll find is that students will come out of that virtual reality experience probably more hyper-aware or hyper-aroused than they went into the experience. And then, you, as we know, when it comes to behavioral management, so to speak, you, you've got a, a greater problem than you probably did before they went into the virtual reality experience. Yeah, and not only that, but, um, you know, we use these words already before, and that's, you know, your, your sense of presence within the, the virtual world can, can be affected if your cognitive load is way too high. And so you jeopardize that if you overstimulate someone within uh, the virtual world. So I want to you know, talk a bit about, oh, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, one thing I just wanted to touch on there as well, and it's, it's, been, a, it's been a difficult process for us as we guide as, you know, as we attempt to guide uh, this this industry into 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 the right place here, and you know, we're only one of many. I appreciate uh, is that it also comes down to the quality of of content creation. Uh, you know, we've gone out to market and we've gone to a number of schools across New York, for example, Manhattan in particular, and we've said, "Hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're about. We'd be love for you to be a pilot partner of ours, or you know, come on as a paying customer." And they said, oh, no, 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 it makes us really sick. We're not interested. And I said, that's interesting you say that because you actually haven't experienced any of our content. I'd be curious to know why, why you've got that fear. And they said, oh, you know, we've, we've, we've had a mobile VR experience of the past where we've been given a roller coaster ride and it's made us incredibly ill and it's just not for us. So I appreciate that as one starts a new market, you're just playing with ideas. And naturally, you know, that, that gamification uh, with virtual reality where you can be on a roller coaster ride, but you don't actually need to be on the roller coaster. You can be sitting on your couch is a really neat idea in principle. The reality is it just doesn't work like that physiologically or psychologically as the way our brain is wired. So we need to be careful as we move forward into the future to, and virtual reality becomes more ubiquitous across education and training that the content that we create is of quality. And then through quality, you delimit the level of motion sickness. But at the same time, when you provide authoring tools to educators and students, to any, any, anyone of the likes, which is also something Curious provides, that you actually provide them with the necessary scaffolding to understand what quality program and content creation looks like. Speaking of that, educators who are interested in VR sometimes have a hard time trying to find content you know quality or not it's it's a bit of a wild west out there you know the gaming store steam and the oculus store are more gaming sites they have the odd uh edutainment but they don't necessarily have uh quality content that aligns directly with curriculum you sort of have to align these edutainment uh experiences to the curriculum before uh, you access it to make sure you're get, getting the right fit. So there doesn't seem to be like the Netflix for VR educational apps. Why do, why do you think that's the case? And how do we fix this? Or maybe Curious doesn't want to fix it because you guys are generating your own library of content. I'm not sure. No, no, it's a really interesting question. And it's funny that you've used the terminology, the, the Netflix of VR. Um, you know, <laughs> 
one of the visions for Curious is to is to create a marketplace. Um, you know, creating content to the level of quality that Curious has been recognised for for over twenty two years is not a cheap exercise. Uh, it, it it requires a significant amount of investment. Uh, so, for example, for our social emotional learning program that I've spoken a little bit about here on the podcast, we employed voiceover artists, animators, scriptwriters, uh, software engineers, consultants, and, and and more on and on and on. You can see how quickly that would build up to be an incredibly expensive venture. So, for, for us at Curious, yes, we are still creating content and we will continue to create content, but long term. Our, our ambition through our software so solution is to open up the marketplace to whereby uh, others create content that's, for example, we will oversee and curate in a way that Netflix does that can then be open to market uh, for others to use. Uh, and I know that other companies are looking to do the same in the way of uh, distribution partners for those that have already created content that is deemed to be of quality that can support the, the area of humanities, for example, or parts of, um, of say, biology. Chemistry is a difficult one because most of it needs to be, or seems to be done in, in computer-generated uh, ways. So that's, that needs to actually be, be built. Um, and so, yep, that's definitely a, a, a version of, of Curious looking into the future. But I think the reason to why it's not there at the moment um, is there is not enough quality content. Um, there's a lot of lot of companies that are popping out of the woodworks at the moment, particularly due to COVID. You know that the boom of ed tech is real. There's no doubt about that. But I think um, you know some companies are, are looking for a quick bang for buck, um, and they're just putting something out there, and they're they're using and riding off the coattails of what is a little bit of hysteria when it comes to virtual reality. You know, you speak to the likes of an Oculus or an HTC or a Pico. There, they cannot keep up with demand of headsets. There is a waiting list of months and months to get a headset. Um, so people have recognized that. So they're building out some level of uh, programming or value proposition that maybe needs a little bit more work. You know, as I keep saying, Curious has been around over 22 years. They know how to create quality content. And I know there's other companies out there that also create quality content. Um, but I think we need. To, there's a long way to go to build out a such wide marketplace where there would be a justification for a Netflix for VR, if that makes sense. Mm. James, this has been such an interesting conversation. I often envision that it's going to be 30 minutes, and it gets going so uh, the conversation gets so rich that it definitely extends beyond that. Anything else left unsaid that maybe you think the audience might want to hear in regards to your work or VR in general? Uh, thanks for the question. Look, I, I what I would just encourage your listeners, I mean, to be honest, those that are probably listening to your podcast are already those that are seen as innovators and, and not shying away from taking a risk. But, you know, if, if your listeners have others that are thinking about enter, entering this space or uh, some of your listeners that um, have only just joined joined you, you know your growing your growing mass. Then take the, take the leap of faith. Um, give give those that come to you in the way of providing a virtual reality learning experience the, the time the opportunity to share with you what they're up to um, because it is part of the future and it is growing in terms of quality 
um, and usability. And there are others out there like Curious that do believe in, in the better world of, of quality learning and engagement and don't see it just as a gimmick. Um, and that's one of the challenges we're coming across with Curious that, it, that the tail is long at the moment if, if, in, in terms of a business talk. Uh, what we need to try and do is recognize that there is a place for virtual reality. No, it doesn't replace other modes of learning uh, or your Swiss Army knife that is the iPad, but there is an opportunity uh, to support that iPad with a virtual reality experience when the time calls for it. And so I do encourage everyone to, to be open-minded about the virtual reality world and embrace it with open arms whenever someone comes knocking on that door saying, hey, would you like to try this virtual reality experience because we feel it's got some value. Well said. Hey, if people want to try and get a hold of you either to learn uh, more about what Curious is doing or to ask you a question, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yep, thanks very much again for that question. So uh, com mm-hmm. is our website where you'll see all of our product and services from medical training to social emotional learning and beyond. Um, but if someone wants to reach out to me individually, they can do so at james.m at curious.com. Um, and if they're interested more broadly around my ways of learning in terms of learning design, uh, you can visit my own website at ecocentric.space. James, thanks for all your wisdom today. Uh, You dropped a few nuggets my way, which I appreciate, and uh, I'm sure the listeners have uh, been enlightened. So I appreciate you coming on the show. If you hold on afterward, we can uh, have a quick chat. Yeah, no problem. Thanks again, Craig, for inviting me onto your podcast. I think these podcasts are are really important. The conversation is real. And, and, um, you know, let's not use COVID as an excuse for looking to a solution for education. Let's just use uh, the the unfortunate excuse that student engagement is declining well before COVID and we actually need a solution rather than a COVID response solution. And virtual reality, I think, is has a, play, a part to play in that. Fantastic. Amen to that. Bye for now. Thank you.